Welcome to the Rise of the Challenge podcast. Join me today. He's a pro athlete, artist, director, actor, stuntman, co-owner at Tempest Free Running. It's Jesse LaFlair. How are you doing today, <laughs> What an intro. Thank you. I'm doing good. How are you? So excited to learn so much about you and your Rise of the Challenge. First mm. thing I'd like to do is go right to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what were you involved in growing up? I mean, yeah, so much of that, it leads into who I am. So uh, I'm originally from Long Island, New York. Um, I grew up uh, in a family of five, right? Mom, dad, and a brother and sister. I was the youngest, but my dad was, um, he's into like everything motors. So he actually, is, he still does drag race, uh, kind of as a passion, um, but he's been doing it his entire life. So we grew up with like motorcycles and quads and snowmobiles and all these different things with motors. So I was riding my first dirt bike when I was three years old, had my first dirt bike when I was five. Um, and I think a lot of that stuff obviously led into me getting into action sports and, and the stunt industry because really like <laughs> being put on a motorized vehicle at that young of an age and being given the responsibility of like, hey, when you stop, you have to jump off because your feet can't touch the ground, right? Like, otherwise the motor is going to land on you and burn your skin. So I think uh, a lot of that very early on, taking on the responsibility of the extreme world of going fast has probably led me into my career where I am today. At a young age, was fear never an option for you? Or were you one of those types of people that whatever happens, happens? No, I think, I mean, I think fear is a necessity. I think a lot of people try to write off fear as this thing that they either don't have or, or they've overcome, but like you, you never overcome fear. If you've overcome fear, then you're just insane. In my opinion. Um, I think what you learn to do is, is deal with fear in a way that you face it head on you instead of most people get afraid and they run the other direction. What you can do is turn the muscle on to like, when I'm afraid of something, I go toward it and try to understand it, right? Because fear is just a lack of understanding anyway. So I think, you know, going back to like my parenting, I think my dad did a really good job of always sort of explaining how and why things worked or would go wrong. So, um, and we'll probably talk about it again later when we get into parkour stuff, but parkour is so much about like understanding what happens if something goes wrong and how to get out of it. So it's, it's always kind of working backwards. So fear is just like, okay, I don't understand this enough. Let me understand it. And then let's see if I'm still wanting or willing to go in that direction. When you were doing all the motor sports, were your siblings into those things or was that something that was yours and you could be able to fulfill that? Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, that's probably why I got to where I am and with the parkour stuff is because I was the youngest of three. My brother was the oldest he seemed to ruin everything for me. Um, and by that, I mean, he would, you know, he was obviously riding dirt bikes and everything as well. So he would be riding trails and then all of a sudden he'd be in areas that he's not supposed to because Long Island's not super woodsy and all of it is that is woodsy is kind of parks. So the cops would come to the house, he'd get in trouble or he broke his collarbone riding. And so by the time I was like, you know, probably like 12, 13, I was really into like dirt jumping and skateboarding and still wanting to ride. And I sold my motorcycle to buy a new one. And it was almost like my parents were like, nah, you should just not do that. And I was like, ah, man, so I ended up buying a, another BMX bike and doing that for a long chunk of my childhood too. Did you have any motivations or inspirations growing up? um in terms of people or things or someone that you looked up to or someone that you inspired to be i don't know i think when i 
I try to, cause I got, I've been asked this question a couple of times now. And I think it's always like, I never really had like a idol. I mean, my dad would talk about people um, like a Bruce Lee or these people like this, like this Spider-Man guy who could like literally like crawl up bricks by the tiny bit of his fingers. And like, I, for some reason, all of that, like physical feats always stuck with me. Um, and as a kid, I remember doing like 200 sit-ups in my room and I wanted to be the most physical fit I could possibly be. And I don't, I don't really know why that was. Um, but like, I wanted to be like a Navy SEAL. I'd like handcuff myself and chuck myself into the pool. And like, I'd do all this crazy stuff um, just to like test my physical limits. Uh, and in school, I, you know, I had won like the physical fitness award for the most physical fit kid in our, in our two grades in a row and got the presidential fitness award. And I don't know, I was, I was just so driven to be capable um, beyond the norm that, but I have no idea where that came from. Ninja Turtles, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> the three, three Ninjas, that was a movie that definitely inspired um, a lot of my wanting to do things, yeah. What was that dream job that you were wanting? Yeah, I don't remember ever wanting, like I had friends that were like, I wanna be a fireman. And like, I remember saying to my cousin at some point in my backyard, for some reason I could like picture the same, like the exact spot where I was. I remember saying like, I'm gonna be a stuntman one day. But I, I'm sure I've said that about other things like the Navy SEAL thing or like the, you know, there were, there were other things that I definitely leaned into, but there was always a camera in my hand. So that's something that like, I have video of me like probably five years old with a big video camcorder. And I like, I'm like filming outside my grandma's house and I'm like, oh my God, there's a bear. And I like turn the camera toward me like vlog style. And I'm like, you're not gonna believe this, there's a bear outside. And I like turn the camera back and it's a stuffed animal like on the windowsill. Like, and I'm like, what am I doing? Like, who was I talking to? How did I even know to like, I don't know. I think my grandma did a lot of video stuff like just for the family. So I don't know, she must've taught me something that enabled me to understand when I talk to the lens and actually talking to the people watching the video afterwards. So that's obviously led me into so much of this stuff too. Did you want to take that and pursue that with cameras and filming and all that through college or through high school and all that? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I leading into college, I was filming all the jackass stuff. I actually produced a feature length film and got like 600 copies burnt and tried to sell it to all these um, like utopia, like weird CD art video places that were around like almost like hot topic style places, but a little closer to Long Island. Um, so there was always like, I don't know, there was, there was a, there was a, my whole life has always been like, I have passions and I know I can make money off of my own passions. And why would I work a job that I don't want to do? So I, I worked at a skate park for six years as a head camp counselor every summer. And I, I got paid to do extreme pogo sticking at demos around like the tri-state area. Like there was all these weird things that like, I was like, that's fun. That looks like an opportunity I can try to pursue. So I think there was, there was always like some combination of it all. And I think it still is, which is the weird part. It's never really like, like your, your intro is like, damn, yeah, I'm really, I've never been just one thing. I just have a lot of passions and I'm just like finding ways to like successfully do those to an extent, right? Jack of many, but I don't know if I'm, you know, like I don't, I don't know if I've aced any of these traits altogether, but maybe I need more focus. I don't know.
we talked about how you're able to have that freedom to do what you want and make money off it. it. Was that always eventually the goal or did you know, I can't do the nine to five job in an office. I like to have that freedom where I can go do the things that I want to do every day. Yeah, I still am like fighting with that like idea of like what is freedom versus like work because even eventually like your passions turn into, you know, if you if you turn your passions into work, then where is your freedom, you know, so it's kind of like this uh, very cyclical like scenario that I keep finding myself in where I, I, I drive towards something so much that it becomes the job. Um, and even though I have so much fun doing it, it's like at some point you've like taken away the self-expression part of it. Uh, so to answer that, I think, I don't know. I don't, I'm not really sure to be honest with you. Just like just going for it. And uh, yeah, I don't want to ever be locked into any like nine to five. I worked at a gallery and even then like I went to college so I went to college for art. I got my bachelor's of fine arts uh, with a concentration on like, well, in sculpture, but with a concentration on like video projection, like performance. And I, I kind of made my own category because I just loved video art and like tried to figure out a way to tie it all together. Um, but then, yeah, so I worked at a gallery and, and that was like, I got there. I was ahead of imaging, doing Photoshopping, doing all these things for magazines. And, and I was like, this still was work. I was like, this isn't fun. What am I doing? And that's when I started to head into trying to find work in parkour and stunts and making movies. Before you got into parkour, was that a bit, did people know about parkour at the time? No, it was, it was, I've been doing it for 15 years. And at that time it was pretty new, especially in the States. You know, I think across the seas in the UK, they had jump London, jump Britain, uh, these documentaries that kind of came out. Um, we had a, the Yamakaze showed up in an episode of like Ripley's Believe It or Not, that TV show that used to be out. And that kind of introduced some people to it. And again, it was just a segment of the episode. And, you know, some people never will remember they saw it. And for some of us, it was like, oh my God, I want to do that. I myself, um, I kind of found some, some dudes on college campus that were doing it, just like running on walls and stuff. And I had always been doing, I mean, the matrix turned me on to like trying to like do Trinity flips off of stuff and wall flips. And, um, so when I saw them doing it, I was like, what is, you know, what is that? And I ran over and I did a backflip off the ledge and they're like, well, that's cool, man, but we're actually doing parkour. It's about overcoming obstacles, whether they're like physical ones or mental ones. And I was like, wow, you guys are hippies. That's cool. Um, but I, <laughs> I went to a hippie school and no, I was, just hearing them say that I was like oh my god they just put a name to something that like I've been doing my whole life and I think a lot of people feel that way a lot of adults like older guys are like I used to do parkour when I was a kid it just didn't have a name and the truth is parkour is just playing it's playing at a higher level it's playing it's challenging yourself it's it's yeah it's pushing your own current physical limitation to see if you can progress a little beyond what you were capable of the hour before you started that new challenge um, and having a name to something just gave me more, I don't know, gave me like permission to try to do it more. Um, and at that time there weren't many people making a name or a living and there still isn't many people making a living off of it, but there was enough people when I started to search it and dig that were doing it that I was like, oh, okay, I, this is like a little subculture. I came from aggressive inline skating, rollerblading. I know what subculture is and this can grow and I believe in this and, so <clears throat> through time, 
yeah, I'm here. <laughs> Was there any skills that you had previously that helped you with parkour? Yeah, I mean, everything, all the, all the action sports leading up to that. Because, I mean, those are all physical, mental challenges, right? Like, you, like, I was dirt jumping pretty big trails, like 15-foot gaps and maybe even bigger than that. Um, and, like, you progress. And everything, every action sport you do is going it, to – it's about progression, right? You can't do a kickflip if you don't know how to ollie and all these different things, like, lead you to higher-level skills – so you need to know that like, I have to be a beginner to begin, right? Like you can't just jump into it and be like, I'm a pro. Like it's going to take time. Um, and for me, I think all of those other action sports, all the things that I've done leading up to that moment um, had given me an advantage because one, I had spatial awareness. I had uh, control of the fear aspect. I knew what my limitations were. I was already for the jackass style stuff. I was jumping off of roofs, landing in bushes, right? So like, once they taught me like, oh, if you can just roll out of this, you actually can just land on the ground from that same height and not do it to entertain people and destroy yourself. So yeah, I think I, I came into it with a lot of almost experience that helped. And that was also good too, because now I'm not starting from the very, very beginning. I feel like I stepped in and was already able to perform better than these guys that were just starting and trying to get you know, into this new sport. Each time that you were par doing parkour, was there always a challenge, like a skill that you're wanting to complete at that time or when you're jumping from building to building? Or was there more competitions that you were going for that were helping you challenge yourself? No, it's, it's very, parkour is so much about the inner challenge, the self-challenge. The it, it really comes down to like understanding what you are currently capable of, right? So every time you go out to train, it's not, you don't have to challenge yourself. You don't have to progress. You go out and I think you're naturally going to progress, right? Progress because you're, you're, you're moving. Every time you go out and you practice, and we call it training, which is an interesting thing. It's like most action sports, right? Like BMX guys are like, I'm, I'm going to go train. I'm going to go ride, right? I'm going to go, I'm going to go skate. I'm going to go like, they go do their thing. We, for whatever reason, because I think parkour was so naturally grew out of, it was never an action sport. If you talk to people even five years ago, maybe 10 years ago, obviously, but uh, they would call it a martial arts. They'd call it a, they'd call it, they would not call it a sport. It was actually, a lot of people are still against the idea of it being a sport because it's so inner challenge. Um, so yeah, we call it training because you go out and you naturally are challenging yourself to get better. Um, but no, I think the thing that leads me into like, progressing is just it's being inspired by the environment i think that's the the one thing that I've, I've always found when i go out and i see spots i let the spot dictate the challenge right because otherwise i guess really early on i say like when you're working fundamentals you're like it's a very move based you're like all right i need to find a spot to do the kong vault where's right? the kong or double kong vault right there's now i need to find a very particular spot so that i can learn the skill but eventually, when you learn the skills, um, it's, it's not then about finding the perfect spot for that skill. It's about finding spots that stretch those skills. Um, and that's where right now is really fun for me is I go and I try to find spots that most people would never consider a spot. Yet I can try to like morph and turn into my own sort of physical painting of my own you know, movement and body. So. 
what kind of opportunities did it lead to? Well, I think with anything, um, parkour in itself never led to anything. It was me taking it to the places, right? Like, so I, I only say that because I think too many people are like, well, parkour has gotten you to, to this place. But um, backtracking, the, the first thing that really helped break the mold for me in like understanding like, oh shit, I can make a living off of this is in New York, um, after college, I went to upstate New York. Um, I then lived in Manhattan for about four years. During that time, um, I had, I guess at that point, I was probably training parkour for two or three years, maybe three years. Um, I was searching Craigslist, you know, for any of these like job opportunities that are just weird tumbling this. I actually auditioned for like the uh, New York Knicks tumblers. I'm not a tumbler, so I, di I didn't get that. But um, I then went and like found like, oh, there's an audition for this Eastman Kodak company, like uh, commercial thing. So I, I submitted for that. I filmed a video um, and they ended up bringing me up to Rochester, New York as like the lead of this like commercial thing. And it was like a, it's a weird thing because I always call it a commercial because they're selling their film stock. But what they did is they shoot a 15 minute short film to show the different like film stocks together. So they're shooting on real film, two cameras at the same time. This is our old film stock. This is our new one. And we want to show buyers the new advantages of the new film stock. But during that, they have a, an intro video. It's like five minutes. And then they go into like details about the stock and then and the middle part and an ending. So I was the lead of that thing, leading this character. And it was crazy. It was like the dream come true. All of a sudden, I'm in front of these huge cameras. The guy that's shooting is like the cinematographer for like uh, Freddy vs. Jason and The Secret Window with Johnny Depp. And like, I'm like, this is crazy. Um, so I think just in that moment, I was like, this is the dream, you know, I want this. So I got back to New York. I started taking acting classes. I started looking for anything and everything to do parkour and movies and zombie stuff. And it was just like, yeah, that's kind of it. But so to, to backtrack, I could have just done parkour, but instead I looked for opportunities that, you know, searching Craigslist for keywords like parkour to find castings um, really allowed me to get the work to help lead me to where I am today, yeah. Did that also help get you into like stunt work and being able to find those job opportunities? Yeah, so definitely like um, I can't, so that, I mean, that kind of opened the, the mental door to I can do this, right? And then from there it was, all right, I, I should move to LA because at that time, Tempest free running had already been formed by the forefathers of the company. And their whole goal was to be like the premier parkour team for Hollywood and also in the sport. And oddly enough, their first year sort of announcing themselves as a team, they won the first ever world championship. And that same month, maybe did a performance for the Red Bull Taurus Awards and ended up then booking a ton of work because at the Taurus Awards, it's a stunt award show hosted by Red Bull for years. Um, and they did this giant performance flipping off of everything. And um, in the audience is all the top coordinators and stuntmen and da da da. So they're watching these young dudes do things that they're like, what? Uh, and then they started booking work immediately. So I had sort of taken note of their videos. They're doing the best videos, highest production value, shooting stuff on like 
the nicest cameras. Um, so they were just like the epitome of like, all right, if I can get on that, that's the, that's the biggest pro team I know of in the United States. And they're also doing stun stuff in the, in the film industry and doubling characters in Twilight and like Transformers. And you're like, this is crazy. So I actually, I, you could dig up a, like an old comment on, I think Paul Darnell's stunt reel in like, I don't know what year it was, 2000, I don't know, whatever. But I, I actually wrote on there, hey, Paul, like, my name's Jesse. I'm, I'm a parkour athlete as well. And I, I would love to do what you do one day. And got any advice? I don't think he ever wrote me back. But yeah, it's just cool to know, like, hey, I was that guy, right? Like, I have kids that message me that all the time. So I get it. And then, then the real truth is that you can go from that to this and have, you know, whatever, 50 major credits and movies and be making a living off of your dream. You just have to put in the work. A lot of people know that sometimes you have to make those big risks and move to a different area to find that dream that you're wanting. From you going from the East Coast to the West Coast, was that a hard transition for you? Or you did you know that you were doing the right thing for your career, basically? Oh, it was tough. I mean, I, I grew up in a family where everyone lives in the same town. Like Long Island is not a small town, but for whatever reason, my family stayed in like, you know, one town over, two towns over. They live next to each other. This, so like, there's not very many people, and even my brother and sister now live five minutes from my house. Uh, they, they all, everybody lives like so close together. So me moving away was like, I mean, that was, a, that was a big sacrifice. And then on top of that, you had like, there's a lot of humor in my family, but I remember like our little going away party we had, like people were like taking bets on like, when we'll be back. So it's like in this weird way, they're like betting on us to fail and come home. So yeah, it was, it was, a, it was really, it was a tough one. But um, I think what I knew was that there's not opportunity on Long Island that I want. And there is that opportunity in Los Angeles. Um, and not that it was like I got here and worked. Like I, I went through some, some big struggles um, and uh, like $30,000 worth of debt, like ups and downs, like boom, bop, boom, bop. And like, and it still is like in, in this industry, you're not really guaranteed anything, right? Like my name doesn't really, I mean, it helps get me work, but it's, it's just like, I don't know. I guess you could always fight for it more at some point. You just become a little complacent of like, yeah, maybe they'll call or things like that. But I'm actually just to mention, um, I'm writing a book right now uh, called How to Become a Stuntman. <laughs> and uh, if you go to howtobecomeastuntman.com, there's a little quiz that you can take to see if you are right for stunt work. And if you leave your email when I get done with the book, um, I'll email you when it's done. So anyone that's listening, if they want to go do that, it's a fun quiz anyway. It's not like even if you're, you have no intent of being a stuntman, go take it. It's kind of a, you get fun answers at the end. Going through those struggles, how did you keep yourself positive and keep that mindset going forward? I don't know. You know, I found very, like, very early on, even in New York, I, I found this, like, weird uh, Australian woman's, like, um, like, it was all about like positive reinforcements and manifestation. And like, and I, it was like, you'd listen to this meditation thing. And I remember like, I, I don't remember all of it, but it was made for Hollywood. Like it was like, she made it for this stuff. So 
I've always just believed, I believe a, a lot in that sort of idea, like the secret. I don't know if you've read or watched that documentary, but like the idea of like power of thought manifestation, what you think becomes your, your reality. And um, so I, I always kind of just fall back on that. Cause once I was sort of taught or learned that your negative thoughts become things as well, that um, anytime you sort of have those negative thoughts, you can kind of just be like, you know, fake eraser and just, I'm, done with that let me uh stay positive and, and think about what i can do to to win again and uh yeah even going into that sort of debt i think i went that deep in debt because i was just staying positive i was like i had i mean luckily i had credit cards that allowed me to get that deep but um i guess that's maybe i don't know if that's lucky or not but <laughs> but it kept me afloat and um yeah i don't know i just always believed you know i i, I had enough of people around me doing it at that point, now I'm in Los Angeles, I'm seeing all these like people now, you know, I'm working with the guys from Tempest and I know that it's a, it's a reality if I just keep working. And that was, that was the thing that drove me to, to keep going forward was like, no, oh, it's, I just watched this thing. I wish I could quote it directly, but this guy was essentially was talking about like every entrepreneur's intro into like these three different categories of mental thought. And the first one is like the excitement because you're naive to all the work and you're like, Oh, that's cool. I want to do that. That's incredible. And you start it off. And then all of a sudden it's like the realization of the work and you're like, Oh man, there's a lot of work. I need to learn a lot more stuff about this thing. And then there's the, I think he called the Valley of despair or something like that. And most people get into that spot and it's like, shit, I'm $30,000 in debt. Um, this obviously isn't working let me try something new. And it's like, Oh, look, this thing actually looks fun. And then they create that cycle again until they get back down to the Valley. Um, and his whole thing was like, you're going to get into the Valley of despair. It's going to happen. You, you're going to realize like, wow, this is actually takes work because everything takes work. Right. It's not like is, you're never going to find something, even your biggest passion that it doesn't feel like work. If you're just having all the fun, um, I don't know. I feel like you might be missing out on the opportunity to like make bigger things happen for yourself. So if you get past that valley, you push through it, that's where success really lies. So for me, I guess, looking back on that journey, um, that's, that's, I definitely went through that. When you moved to Los Angeles, what are some memorable um, achievements you accomplished during that time? I, you know, actually I got very lucky. I don't know. Say, I don't even, I don't want to call it luck. Cause I, I really do believe like I just freaking came out swinging. Um, we got out here and again, I jumped on all the casting sites, all the non-union casting sites, started doing background work, just trying to like get into my foot in the door. Uh, I ended up booking like two small, I don't know, maybe one was like an internet thing. One might've been might've been that movie sand sharks um, that I did, which was like a sea horror film. Well, I don't know. So it was weird things, but I booked these two things and I don't remember exactly what they were. And it was like, and again, like I didn't just like submit for two things and booked them. I submitted for like 55 things and booked two of them. And I was like, this is amazing. Um, and that, but that gave me like, yeah, like the, like a little bit of satisfaction and a little understanding. So then I, I went to, um, um, I went to casting directors, started emailing, not casting directors, uh, agents. I started emailing all these agents and um, trying to get meetings with people. And I think one of them reached back out and was like, oh, I'd like to meet with you. So I looked her up, right? And I like, 
uh, I went to like her Facebook, almost like just stalkerish, right? Like, let me find out more about you on like a personal level. And, and this was like the, uh, the depth of which I was willing to go in a creative third door and try to like, that's my whole thing. I mean, I, I, I had a pod, I have a podcast that I just kind of jump in and out of sometimes. Um, and one of the, the episodes was about this idea of like the creative process and how creative, like the third door gets you in and out of these, these business opportunities in ways that no one else is really thinking of. And um, so anyway, so I'm in this meeting with her and we're talking, talking, and somehow I found out she used to play like beach volleyball is like almost like whatever for a living or career. So at some point I throw out some metaphor about volleyball and da 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 and like her ears kind of perk up and I see it like turning on and, and it was just like little things like that, that I was like always trying to be on the, the smarter side of. And uh, yeah, I don't know. So I got an agent. It just started, the ball started rolling. And, and what was cool is it wasn't like someone handed me it. It wasn't, I think that probably helped the most is that I was watching myself achieve and like hit these tiny little milestones, which I know are progressions to bigger milestones. I think that's definitely important nowadays where I think some people feel that they want to work for everything that they are given. They don't want to be handed things. And it's kind of that personal satisfaction where you can see yourself growing and getting more opportunities each step of the way. Do you feel that same way where you enjoy that personal satisfaction? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, sometimes I'm like, man, I wish I had a mentor. Man, I wish, I wish I had someone like that helped take me to the next level. And I don't think I've ever, I mean, like I said, my dad early on helped shape parts of me and having the, the Tempest guys around helped, you know, give me motivation and understanding what's of what's possible. Um, but I've never had someone like really like, I don't know, help me like just climb a ladder. Uh, so part, part of me like is envious of that. Um, but I'm also what I like about a lot of what I've done is that after you're done doing it, you know, you're capable of doing it again. Um, and you know, when I did, I did two world tours, one of which um, was called off the edge and the other one was the LaFleur Lace Up Tour. Now on Off the Edge, me and my business partner, Corey DeMyers, uh, who's an incredible athlete, stuntman, he's, he's the top notch of everything he ever does. But we worked on a lot of that stuff together and he was so like driven and work and he helped actually, he was in some ways he was like, a, he, he helped shape a, a different part of me. Like I thought I was working hard and then I saw Corey and I was like, Jesus, this guy works like freaking 25 hours a day. Um, how is he doing it? And I, I still think, he, you know, it's like some of it sometimes it's too hard, but, but he showed me like, Oh, you can get a lot done. Uh, if you just put in the work and sit down and do it. But off the edge was a tour that I felt there was a part, so many parts of it that I felt like I didn't do on my own. And so when I came up against creating the lace up tour, I wanted to do it bigger and I wanted to do it by myself. And I had people that, you know, like a uh, Sydney Olson, who's my teammate, who was like, all right, well, how can I help you? You're, you know, you look stressed or whatever. And it was like, I don't know, there was something about it that I was like, I think I just need to know that I can do this. And I created a 25 stop tour with a tour bus with 13 international athletes. 
uh, created a whole documentary around it, hired a, yeah, like it was, uh, it, if I told you every detail of the tour that I created, it wouldn't, you'd like, how did, how does this make sense in terms, like even down to like Photoshopping, designing the art for the bus, um, getting the guys to wrap the bus to discount it and wrap it and like finding the RV for, yeah, it was, it was wild. It was a wild experience, but. So you've had some memorable uh, opportunities on TV. American Ninja Warriors, one of them. Talk about that experience and what did it teach you about yourself as an athlete? Um, yeah, I think Ninja Warrior is such an interesting case study because it's like what I loved about it was that it was in an obstacle course that we weren't allowed to practice on and you had to just go out under pressure, you know, performance pressure and and perform and the the most memorable thing was that yeah my first two seasons i just like flew through the course and it was you know it was like i had the fastest qualifying time in los angeles at some whether it was the semifinals or final qualifier i'm not sure but but it was like everyone else even now people are like i want to get through it uh, my favorite part of ninja warrior was like trying to go through it the fastest I can without stopping, without thinking, without, and uh, yeah, I think, I mean, you know, looking back, I don't know, it was, it was fun. It was fun. It was highly stressful. At the end of the day, it's a, it's a TV show. So like weird stuff would come up where you'd, you know, it'd be two or 3 a.m. You're about to run finally. You've been there since noon earlier in the day. The course is soaking wet because it's outside at uh, Venice Beach and the dew is covering everything. And you get up there and you're all like muscle. You're warmed up because they told you to get ready. And like, all right, next up, Jesse LaFleur. And you like walk up the stairs and the crowd's like, ah! and you're like, all right, here we go. And then you're like getting hyped up. You're looking at the course. And they're like, all right, Jesse, uh, can you go back down the stairs? We've got to do the shot again. And you're like, oh, okay. And then you go back downstairs. Here, next up, Jesse LaFleur. And you're like, ah, no, it's like, they, you know, it's a TV show. So you're like, all right, now you're starting to visualize again. And like, all right, actually, Jesse, we're going to do our hour lunch break. So cool down and uh, we'll see you after lunch. And then, <laughs> so like things like that happen to you and you're, you're like, the fuck? <laughs> like this, this is not what I anticipated or expected. Um, so what people see is they see athletes up against these physical challenges, but the amount of mental and even physical exhaustion that comes out of like just being a part of a production like that. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot. So there's, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes. Even, you know, we talk about anything film related, you know, whether it's the movies or TV or whatever, it's all that same feeling. Like there's, it's never just what you see. It's a lot more than that. Earlier this year in 2020, you were part of a hit TV show on Fox called Ultimate Tag, where you got to have your own persona. And now the show is going global. How did that experience come about? Um, it was interesting. I actually got reached out to by multiple people. <laughs> like, and it, and you know, like I said, I've, I've tried to make myself a very, you know, loud staple in the sport so if you look up parkour you're gonna find me uh it was kind of the the goal while creating media for the last 15 years so i had reached and my my teammates were working on it I actually had a couple producer a couple of my teammates became producers on the show to help design and work with athletes and um but i got reached out to by the 
casting that was casting the competitors. And then I got reached out to by the casting that was casting the taggers. So, um, and actually, to be honest with you, even before they did any of this, uh, I was reached out to come help design test the course, but I think I was working on something, so I couldn't. But anyway, so it, it was like, it was almost like I, I had to work on the show in some aspect. I just had to decide which portion of it I wanted to do. Um, obviously, being a tagger was like a way more interesting role for me. It meant multiple episodes. It meant the opportunity to go play again, get paid to play. Um, and I was a huge fan of, of things like gladiators growing up again, like, you know, these like top notch athletes getting, having competitors go against them. So for me, it was, you know, it was, it was kind of a no brainer it, it, in the sense that I wanted to do it, but in a sense of it being a, a job that was worth doing monetarily is actually probably the worst contract I've ever signed in my entire life, to be honest with you. Um, in terms of what they got out of us versus what we could get out of them. And uh, so in that aspect, it's like, <laughs> but what was cool about it was I was at least in a good enough position to be like, no, I still want to do this because it looks fun. Right. It looks like, and I truly believe that it was something that will and probably has helped parkour and people understand what parkour is, especially in America. Did you have a certain event that you enjoyed or an event that you wish you were able to do? Because I know there are sometimes we didn't get to see everything on the show. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if you didn't, because a lot of my, a lot of my, uh, the, the dome, the floating dome up in the sky, a lot of those got fast forwarded over, but Fox hit, has put up, I think maybe all of them, at least some of them, a large chunk of them on YouTube. So you can see the extended plays of all the different courses and um it's quite entertaining because i think those ones are even fun beyond the show because the show got polished and it got like turned into tv and some of those are like a little more raw they're like a little more um like what it felt like being there so you can almost get like a better sense of like the fun we were having out there versus like you know sometimes they turned up the drama a little bit um in the edit and uh which we're all like, eh, you don't need to do that. This is a fun enough show without it. But um, no, I got to do all of them. And uh, I always liked the last one, the showdown, just because it was a long course and they gave them a good advantage of like, we, you know, we had to catch up versus the other ones where we're just kind of like, like, it's almost like toying with them. And like, uh, as part of the show, they're like, well, if you can tag them right away, maybe just like mess with them more, you know? So a lot of that sort of happened. But the, the showdown was always like, I got to get there before I can mess with them. You know what I mean? And it was never, we never had extra time. It was like, fuck this, I got to grab this tag because those tags are kind of hard to grab. And you're like, you know, all they got to do is move a little bit and your hand's going to miss or you hit their vest and all of a sudden you don't have a tag in your hand and you're like, damn it, you know? So. Well, that showdown, the last event, I always thought whoever, like with you running after them, that was yeah. the hard part. But then yeah. you never got to be on the pyramid yeah the first few episodes you're like really they put yeah. you're on there like yeah. you easily get tagged but then later in the season people were getting past them and you're like oh okay so they yeah. have a chance but i think what the show definitely grew a fan base in a way where people who don't know much about parkour and that far 
But then you had talked about the drama, and then you saw like the taggers being dramatic with the contestants. And I think that brought entertainment in a way, especially with it being a Fox show. But were you surprised about how big the show became over the course of it showing on TV? I don't know. I really did believe, like, I was like, this thing's going to be a hit. Because we're, I mean, we're in the, when we're shooting, all the other taggers are in this, like, back room, and we have monitors. And we're, like, back there, like, oh, yeah! Like, we're losing our freaking minds. So, like, to feel that energy watching it live, you're like, it's got to be good when they turn it into TV, right? Because they, they can hype all these things up and add the music and add the, you know. So, when we were filming, we're like, this thing's going to kill it. Um, and it did really well. It had a little bit of a drop off, I think, towards the end of the season. Uh, we're still waiting to hear back on season two. Nothing's been confirmed, which is you know, kind of like sitting on the edge of our seat. But, yeah. yeah. So how did you get the opportunity to be your own name? Like some other people didn't get their own name. They got a different version. But you got to keep your name and have that kind of persona in a way. Yeah, I, I just told him I wasn't gonna do it. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, here's the I built a brand around my name, and it's it's been something that I've I've been working toward and on, and um, I just I I always try to double dip, you know. Even in you know, we talk about Ninja Warrior, I kind of made Ninja Warrior talk about my YouTube. I, I gave them no other option. I created a whole fake. A, thing about the the fans wanted me to do ninja warrior and i'm doing this for them and that's why i won and then you know the first time i did really well i think i was in second place they were like eh, we can't really talk about youtube and then i was fastest qualifier and they're like let's talk about your youtube followers well same thing with tag it was like all right well we want to think of a nickname and i was like mm, i'm gonna go with laflair it's, it's a pretty good one and they were like all right well we could do air laflair let's do air laflair and and i was like that's cool but it's still like now people are Googling a different thing. And I was just like, this, you know, I have a the pro signature model shoe in the sport and they're called the LaFlares, the LF1s. So it was like, I'm trying to drive that search back to the product so that Tembus can make money off of the shoes and I can continue to be a name as, a, you know, as memorable as me. Um, plus what it then did was allowed me to be myself instead of, you know, and, and I talked about it with like the geek, like the geek became one of my favorite characters because he was able to like, go like, just be this like, like, you know, joke and this and that. And he, and it, it, at some point I'm like, during the show, I'm like, damn, maybe I should have did a persona. That seems a lot more fun. Like I, I don't have to be me. And if, you know, in, in the show, if someone gets by me or if I mess up, then it's, it's Jesse LaFleur messing up. Right. It's not like this. So, I mean, the character still got like a little bit more turned up. There was like a little, not cockiness, but a little of that put in there, a little bit bigger and, oh, I'm the best, oh, look at me, whatever. But they also still like, if you look in the audience, there's like air LaFleur signs, like weird things, like beware of the air. And it's like, what, did Jesse fart? Like, what the hell is that about? I don't know what that, that billboard, a little sign is, but... Yeah, so for me, it was just playing it smart, creatively trying to market what I, who I am, what I do, my brand. 
looking in the future with TV movie, is there any role that you kind of hope maybe it happens for you in the future? Or is it one whatever happens, happens? Whatever happens, happens. I mean, I'm, I, I like getting to, to play my own characters, like the Hawaii Five O chase scene. Like, you know, I, like I said, I took years of acting and I took a year of acting in New York and then came out to LA and did some, a year or more of acting classes. I don't know if you're hearing all this noise right now, but um, <clears throat> so for me, it's, I, I like this idea of transitioning a little bit further into, I don't know, I don't even, I'm, that, I'm like battling with myself internally quite often right now with like, what is next? Because I like, I'm working on a thing that I probably, I won't talk about, <laughs> I'm like, I probably shouldn't, I won't, but I'll talk a little bit about, it's just a, more about hosting something. Um, and it's a, it's, it's my own competition series that we're, I'm working with someone with right now. And I think that's more of it. I think like, I, I like being me. I like, so when it comes to like talking and hosting and being in front of a camera, all of that is still very much something that I've done my entire life. So, uh, I almost just rather do that. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of just figuring out ways to like, yeah, what is next? How did you find more involvement with 10th Fist Rewriting? As you started, you were just getting your name out there with them, but now you played a huge part in that company. Yeah, I think, you know, it was, it was that progression thing. I got out there, I introduced myself, I went and filmed a video like the first day I knew their gym was opening and it was still not official open. It was like a soft open. I filmed the best stuff I can do um, and put it out before they opened the gym, which actually pissed them off. Um, but I knew my friends from New York would want to see it. I knew other people wanted to see it. So like I, again, was just playing like I need views and build an audience. Um, luckily their video they put out like three days later, got like 6 million views in the first week. So yeah, they, I mean, they, they got a ton of press out of their video. It beat Coca-Cola's marketing and did all this stuff. So they didn't seem to care about my video anymore. And uh, that was good for me. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I, it, was, it was really just like getting in front of them. I then became a coach. I helped as much as I could behind the scenes, whether they were doing film productions, holding, I'll come hold a light, you know, um, pull mats for you. And that's, it really just did like some sweat equity, some like just helping where I could. And that then turned into, yeah, I was coach and then became part of the pro team or on the team. And then when they shifted to pro versus action team, I was put onto the pro team. And then um, Corey and I really just made a huge push to make our names um, uh, as a big of a part of the sport as we can, as well as big uh, of a part as Tempest and really helped push them further. So through that, they sort of recognized like, all right, there's a few people that have done a lot for the company that should be given some sort of ownership stake of the company. And yeah, they, they let us in. <laughs> Do you get a lot of people coming to California to see what Tempest is all about based on your, like with being like a brand ambassador in some way or your involvement with it or where they see maybe collaborations you guys have done on like YouTube? Do people oh, yeah. want to come to see <laughs> what Tempest is all about and give it a try? Yeah, I think, I mean, Tempest, the academies themselves have become their own, like, they're, they're world famous in that sense, especially now that, you know, we really started to foster to our YouTubers and the people and the creators who come in and have made 
helped market the gym through their videos. So, you know, we started doing things where like, hey, if you have 100,000 followers on Instagram, like we'll add you to our list and you can come in free whenever you want. Just please plug us once in a while. Um, you know, down to like in our, our Southern location in Vista, like the, the Funk Bros and those guys, we, we let them come in and do closed sessions, right? The gym closes at this time. You guys could stay, film whatever content you want. So they started getting access to this incredible million dollar facility for free. You know, um, we do rent the facilities for productions as well. So then all of a sudden now, you know, these guys are helping market. Oh, this is a dope place to film. Plus look, if you film at Tempest, you get 50 million views on your video. Well, then other people want to come in and then that's helping generate some sort of film rentals and things like that. So, yeah. Did you ever thought that it would get to that stage where you would be working with all these different content creators with that company? No, I, don't, I mean, I definitely, I guess I never really fleshed that out as part of the, the process, but I think through time, yeah, it was probably visible at some point in my career because you start seeing, started seeing little things pop up where people would come in or a newscaster would come in or um, one or two of these like, you know, like a corridor digital or some of these like older YouTube channels that were doing incredible things that I was fans of would all of a sudden want to come to the gym and needed one of two of our athletes to be a part of it. Um, and so that reality became quite evident, um, like very early on, I guess, but now it's, yeah, it's people, you realize like, oh, people are coming to the gym at open gym to like film videos and it's cool. It's actually become a hub for like many creators to like meet each other and collaborate, which is cool. 2020 has been a big year for companies all over the world. How has parkour and tempest been able to handle everything that's been going on in 2020 you've seen well <laughs> the sport in a way or it's it's been a it's been a mix i mean we really did like very early on we launched the uh i forget what it was called the quarantine parkour quarantine challenge where everyone just put lines of them doing parkour in their house or around their house um which was a fun way for the community to come together and just you know kind of share things but uh then we launched the tempest onlines which is um an online competition that happens every month at the end of every month and uh we offer we started off offering like 250 fifty dollar prize uh just for guys and then it became guys and girls and now it's up to 500 hundred first prize for guys and 500 hundred first prize for girls every month and everybody just films a 15 second line, submits it, and then they go head to head on a, on a tree. So what we've done was we've created a competition culture in a time where there's no competitions. Um, so that's helped. I know that's helped some people in the sport to stay motivated and, and gave them something to really like drive toward. Um, on the other hand, we actually just closed one of our gyms this past weekend forever um, because it's just, unfortunately, the the rent is like $30,000 a month and we haven't made any money in a large chunk of this year. So it just became, we gotta, we gotta go, we gotta close it. So it's being demolished right now as we speak, which is kind of messed up, but yeah. So it's been, yeah, it's been tough, but you know, we're, we're moving forward. And I think one of the things that 
I guess we could talk about on the flip side of that is at our valley location in Northern California, not Northern California, but Northern LA up in the valley. Um, we just rented out the uh, other side of the gym space and that is actually becoming our film production house that people can come rent um, for whether it's pre-visits for stunt work or it is, um, we have a podcast studio there that you can come rent um, and, and it's fully engineered and everything. So we're kind of sh shifting back toward that, that split goal of what Tempest always was, was like this film production and this, you know, pro parkour team yeah, and brand. I feel like I need to send a clip of me just jumping off my couch. I feel like that's the yeah. thing I'm Do doing. it, man. Submit it every <laughs> month. <laughs> End of <laughs> I mean, I've, might... I've seen those videos and it's just amazing, like the family that you guys have brought together with everyone sending in their clips and the support that you guys are all getting. It shows that it's rising up in a way and you guys aren't letting anything stop you to be able to keep it going in a way. Yeah. Yep. Got to push. It's all about progression. And sometimes you have setbacks, sometimes you have injuries, sometimes you, you know, but the understanding is that that's actually not a setback. It's just, it's part of the line, you know, just. So we talked throughout the episode about your brand. And if anyone checks out your Instagram, you're always doing these fun videos and you're holding the camera, doing a 360 view of what you're doing. When you're creating that content for the day, you talked about finding that spot that you can challenge yourself and extend your skills. Does a lot more go into the planning of that or you just like to get out there and do whatever trick you want to do at that time? Yeah, it depends. I mean, certain times, there's sometimes I just like stop at spots, like, and I just like look for new spots. And if I find a new spot, it will inspire something. And then that's, that then becomes exciting to like film at. Um, but like right now I have, have three video campaigns that I've been approached with and uh, actually just messed up my ankle a little bit. So I'm like creatively trying to figure out ways to use old footage and mix it with new footage of me talking and cut that into me moving. And um, you'll see that all come about. But I think, um, I think a lot of like, these limitations that sometimes happen with these videos or the speed in which they need them. Um, I like the limitation. I like that idea of, of being, having boundaries to like guide the creative process. So it's almost like the challenge in it. And maybe that's the parkour side of me, right? Like finding the challenge and then trying to overcome it is uh, sort of turned on by it. And, and so yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's always a different scenario. It's never like, oh, I got that perfect spot. But sometimes a spot will like, I'll hold on to an idea and I'll be like, oh yeah, that's a good spot to do this thing. Yeah. Have you been able to balance from time with your family and work or does it sometimes have that struggle to find that balance? Well, it's definitely a different time of my life. I have a one, one year old baby um, and I think that has thrown like a big wrench into understanding, like evaluating what uh, is valuable to me in terms of time and energy. And um, so I'm finding myself doing a lot less of scrolling and watching other people's content and um, really isolating 
the time in which I'm, I'm using for my business and career and movement. Uh, so yeah, I think right now is there's a lot of pieces that are being moved around to try to understand what looks like the best looking puzzle, you know, like I'm like, Oh, this piece looks pretty good there, but I think actually it might go over here. And so right now it's in this very particular moment, like me and my wife actually just created like a schedule. Like what if we actually like isolated times and just see how that feels to go like, all right, you have this time to go do whatever you need to do, whether it's business, self, creative process, whatever you want to do. Um, so we're actually messing with that right now. And I think it's, it's opened up the idea and ability to schedule things. Cause now I'm not scared of like, um, you know, I also, in, in my podcast, talk about expectations. And I think one, one of these times is like people have expectations about everything, right? We have expectations about this conversation. Uh, we have expectations when I drive to the grocery store, how long it's going to take me. Um, and you know, if all of a sudden I turn out and there's construction or there's an accident, also I'm sitting there for 10 minutes. Oh my God, 10 minutes, you know, like, but if I told you, oh, there's an accident out there, it might take you a little longer to get to the grocery store. And you're like, all right, so you get out there and you're sitting there and you're like, whatever you know like when we have when we set our expectations and we do it subconsciously all of the time it it just like blows our mind when that, that something interrupts it and disrupts it and so I, I talk about expectations because like my fear for my wife is like her expectations for me and I'm like creating these stories in my head about how other people are have expectations towards my schedule that um then I'm like not you know like feared uh you know planning things for and whatever so yeah i don't know i just went on a weird rant but <laughs> so what does the future look like for you professionally and personally what are you hoping to accomplish in the next few years i don't know i think i mean i'm working with a company right now called obsesh um like obsession but yeah you can check them out called obsesh we're working i've been working pretty closely with them for it might even be I don't know if it's two years, but it's definitely at least a year. And they're, what they're really doing is they're taking athletes like myself um, in all sort of outdoor adventure action sports, even like cliff diving and surfing and all these different things and trying to like figure out ways to give athletes the opportunity to make a living off of doing what they love outside of just doing that thing. Um, and it's been exciting to see them try different things and develop different things. And right now there's two series I have on TV with them. One is called Adventure Amplified uh, that I host. I'm just the intro host, blah, 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 blah. And it goes into the series. Uh, and then every, every episode I have, they, they just have like, we'll call it 10 different clips of these like beautifully shot action sports things. And it, it lives on a network called TBD, which is to be discovered. Uh, and then I have another show called The Parkour Adventures of Jesse LaFlair, which is a revised version of our Off the Edge series that we had shot. Um, and we combined a bunch of episodes, added a bunch of new footage, and uh, that is now streaming on, well, it's on TV and streaming. So... careers and use it again and um it kind of has shown me like all right what's interesting about my career right now is that i have a lot going on but i also have a lot just that i've done 
and a lot of stuff that I haven't utilized to its full potential. So it's really, I almost urge everyone to look at the things they've already done instead of just grinding forward to do new things, especially in a time of quarantine where we're not able to produce new things, um, to look at what you have and, and see like, is there more potential with this media? Is there more potential with my skill set? You know, is there my knowledge, my, yeah. So step back, look what you got. And uh, yeah, so for me, yeah, next couple of few years, I honestly, in a lot of ways, wish I could just like move to the woods and the redwoods and live next to a river and play with my son as he grows up and develops into a, you know, a human. So I think a lot of things are just trying to figure out how to secure wealth and financial freedom um, instead of just making money. <laughs> I think during this time, especially during the pandemic, it's been a perfect timing for people to almost do like a self-reflection in a way. Kind mm -hmm. of look back at yourself and see what, what can, else can I do during this time? You got the freedom to do it and being able to plan those things out. And it sounds like you're doing that right now because you mentioned that you have the, the goals of living in the forest by the river and stuff. And you're able to see how maybe how can I get there in the future because no one knows what's going to happen in the next few months. So it's a great time to be able to maybe plan and do those things. And also you talked about making money, but you, a lot of people want to enjoy what they're doing. And that money is also there, but you want to wake up each day and be ready and be happy to get up and do something new. And I know for me, I've had that conversation with myself. Do I enjoy waking up and maybe sitting at home doing nothing but getting paid for it when I'm a person that I want to get paid to do something? So it's definitely that time where you can do that self-reflection self in a way. Yeah, for sure. I agree. So the final question I'll ask you, based on your journey and experience, for someone that's listening to this interview, what tips or advice would you give them to overcome obstacles, accomplish their goals, and rise to the challenge? Progression is key. Just understanding that every challenge you have in life, every, everything you come up against, there are small steps that if you take the time to understand them and work through them, that you can slowly but surely achieve whatever that challenge is. Uh, and I think that's probably enough, but I, I just like, yeah, I want to reiterate, like it's so many people like, yeah, but you know, it's like, no, like really break it down. And maybe it's not always starting at the very first step. Maybe sometimes it's like going backwards and trying to understand it. Um, yeah. Don't take the shortcuts really just like dig in and figure it out on your own. Right. Well, Jesse, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. You inspire so many people and future athletes, and we're excited to see what the future looks like for you. Heck yeah. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow and subscribe on all major audio platforms, and make sure you check out our YouTube channel to see the full-length episodes in video format. What path will you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.